Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1? We're going to look at verses 15. We're going to actually look at the end of verse 13. We're going to go through verse 20 this morning. I feel almost compelled, but it would be weird and not appropriate for other reasons for us to all take our shoes off because we are standing on holy ground this morning as we look at this passage. The message of this passage, the message of the Bible, the message of this passage is central to the message of the Bible, and this message if you receive it, will keep you out of hell. And if you ignore it, you'll go to hell. That's how serious this is. This is a message that you need on a Mother's Day. This is a message that mothers have prayed for their children to receive with the eyes of faith. This is a passage that every woman and mother needs to embrace themselves. If you have received the passage, the person of this passage, it will change you. And if you haven't changed, I don't care if you've said that you've received Christ, you haven't received Christ. If he hasn't changed you, who is Jesus? It's the most important question you will ever answer. You may or may not be asked it specifically in a conversation. I'm asking it to you this morning, so you've been asked it. Who is Jesus? It may not come to a great surprise to you that majority of the general U.S. population rejects that Jesus is God, but now almost a third of people that consider themselves evangelical, Bible-believing Christians agree that Jesus was merely a good teacher, a great teacher, but not God. And while 66% of Americans disagree with the statement, Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not God, nearly many, many Christians, even today, believe that Jesus was the first and the greatest creation of God, of which we thank him. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is God, but he is a created being. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was created by Jehovah as the archangel Michael before the physical world existed and is a lesser, though mighty, little G-O-D kind of God. Mormons believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they would say, but that he became the Son of God and was made as a spirit among many. Mormons believe that Jesus Christ was the firstborn spirit child of the heavenly father and of a heavenly mother. And that he progressed into deity in the spirit world. Muslims would celebrate Jesus as a great prophet and sign of the Jewish people of God Almighty. But not the savior of the world. Not raised from the dead. Not the very God of God. Who is Jesus? Can you answer that? And I am not primarily interested so that you could pass a doctrines test to say, yes, I know the historic faith of Jesus. Do you know who Jesus is? Friends, 
we are created beings with limited amount of heart breaths. Our hearts are beating, and there's a limit on those beats. We are created, but with those beats, to live for a purpose. And we are dependent and sustained every moment by something other than ourselves. We need, we need, we need at all moments of our lives. We need something, and we we live our life seeking to fulfill something. And Christianity's answer is that it is found in a person, and it's found in Jesus Christ. As we come to this passage, would you look with me at the end of verse 13, which was last week's passage, and it says here, his beloved son, at the end of verse 13. The kingdom of his beloved son, verse 14, in whom, in this son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, first over all. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. Oh, Father, please help us. Take the veil from our eyes that we would see and savor Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. amen. The Colossians, of whom this letter is written, are a group of mostly non-Jew Jewish people, Gentiles, who threw their idols away when they surrendered their lives to a person they had never seen before, but now believed with all their heart that he had risen from the dead and that his name was Jesus Christ. He was the Messiah of Israel. He was the true God and maker of the world. They believed this gospel when Epaphras preached it to them and the spirit came into their lives and they were changed. And yet in the coming, and we're going to see this in the coming weeks as we go through Colossians, but in in the season ahead of this young church, false teachers were coming in the midst of their, their churches and they were teaching them that, okay, Jesus is how you Start your salvation plan, and yes, he is a savior, and he rose from the dead. All of that's good, but to really be right with God and having a fulfilling, satisfying, protected whole life that is full, you need a Jesus, but there are some other things you need. 
you, you need to worship angels, and there's some practices here, and there's certain dietary customs you need to follow, and there's certain practices of rituals you need to do this, and Paul is writing them to say, stop listening to that that is wrong. Jesus is everything. Jesus alone is the only way. Jesus plus something else to be right with God and to live the life God has called you is not Jesus at all. It's not Christianity. I would say that we are tempted in our day and age to have a mindset that we could say, yes, I need Jesus, but I need Jesus. I need Jesus plus I need this family life. I need Jesus, but I need these self-help books. I need Jesus, and I need a good self-esteem. We live in a culture that says, I need Jesus, but, but I can do it. But I just need to believe in me a little bit more. I need to realize who I am, Jesus, and and I need to figure out myself through a personality test, or Jesus and a parenting technique, or Jesus and the cabin up north, or Jesus and certain sports, or Jesus and a certain education method, Jesus in America, Jesus in Republicanism, Jesus and you fill in the blank. And, and the answer to this letter to Colossians is, Paul wants to say, your life is all centered in Jesus. And when you really know who this Jesus is, it'll start to really make sense. I am persuaded that we as Christians far too often do not know truly who Jesus is to the depths of our heart experientially. And in this these verses, verses 15 through 20, Paul is like either sharing a Christian hymn that he already knew and was being circulated among churches, or he is writing this himself, and he is saying, I want you to see, and if you walk through these verses, you almost could see two types of stanzas like you find in a hymn. And stanza one in this psalm, or in this Colossians passage, this this song, it's almost like he's saying, Jesus is supreme over all creation. And we find that verses 15 through 17. He is the firstborn of all creation. And then in the second half, in verses 18 through 20, he is the firstborn from the dead. He is supreme over a new creation. However, when we find and come across this world, he is the firstborn, we may get stumble on that and say, well, it seems like a firstborn means, what does it mean in our culture, in our society? A firstborn is the first person in the birth order that was born into our world. But that is not the meaning of the word in Jesus' time primarily, or at least in a very theological sense, both in the Greek culture as well as in the Old Testament to be the firstborn meant to be the first in rank. It meant to be the first in authority. So much so that in the psalmist in Psalm 89 will say, I, and he's speaking of the Messiah, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, what I want to do this morning is I, I want to help you Think about Jesus this way. I, I pray that you will truly take in who Jesus is. I hope that you'll go with, as a family and talk about who is Jesus. I hope that you will apply the reality of who Jesus is. I hope that every Sunday, week after week, and every Sunday school, and I hope our home studies and life groups will say, who is Jesus? And we will answer it, 
Not just to be able to finish and answer, a t- fill out a test and be able to say it, but we would understand it to the depths of our beings. Who is Jesus is the most important question you will ever ask, friends. If you... And secondly, what is your relationship to him? What are you doing about this truth? I want to give you five words that I heard this week. Steve Lawson shares this in a message, and I, I just love how he, he connects these points, and I want to bring them to you. Five words of who Jesus is. Number one, Jesus is God. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. God made man and woman in his image, and we are not God. But Jesus is different than any other human being, though he is a human being. He became a man. Jesus is the second and true Adam, and he is the second person of the Trinity. He is the Son of God, and he is God the Son. And he says, it says it here, he is the perfect image of God, and he is God In the beginning was the word, John wrote, and that's Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And a few verses later, this word, who is God, makes God known. It says in John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. Just like it says, he is an invisible God. But... The Lord Jesus has made him known, or the New Living Translation says, but the unique one who is himself God, that's Jesus, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. I was recently visiting a little boy who has cancer, and, he, and, and I was talking to him about God, and he had, he had a hard time even understanding the grasp, and he says, who is God, and where is he? Why can't I see him? And I said, he is invisible, but you see... He was made visible for you and I to see as we look at the pages that reveal to us in the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this world to make God visible to us. We see this from pages after pages throughout Scripture. Jesus' name show us that he is. He is the Son of God. He is this Son of David that has come. He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. Prophecies that were only made about God coming are now being fulfilled in Jesus. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him the whole fullness of the deity of Godhead dwells bodily in him. The full, fullness of deity dwells in God, Jesus bodily. And in Romans chapter 9, it says that the Messiah, Christ, who is God over all and is blessed forever. Friends, Jesus is God. You will not be saved unless you confess that Jesus is truly God. Because you see, if Jesus is not truly God, he cannot save sins. He cannot bear the wrath of someone else, God's wrath. He can, for our, on our behalf, Jesus is God and he shows us God. Jesus is the way that shows us God's holiness and God's mercy 
and God's majesty and God's beauty and God's sovereignty and God's power. You want to see all those things? You see them displayed in Jesus Christ. We must look to Jesus and God says, here, I want you to see me made visible. The disciples had a really hard time understanding this, and even towards the end of Jesus' life before he would go to the cross, it was Philip who was saying, would you show me, Jesus, will you show me the Father, God? And Philip says, to, Jesus says to Philip, have I not been with you this long, walking and talking, sharing with you, and you don't you still know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, How can you say, show us the Father? This is so foundational. I hope we see it. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, was born and made made a man. He became a man, is a man, and will forever now be a man. But he always existed because God has always existed. And he he is the image of God the Father. And it is the way we, you want to see God You see Jesus Christ. You see him through Jesus Christ. So number one, Jesus is God. But number two, Jesus is creator. And and that should make sense because God creates the world. Look Look at what he says here. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the highest of rank of all creation. He is not part of creation. He's going to make it very clear in the context. He doesn't say he's the first of creation and then and then then all the other creation. It says he is the first of first in rank of creation and then he explains because by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him, that's through Jesus, and for him, for Jesus. We won't go there, but I would encourage you to look at Proverbs chapter 8, and as you look at Proverbs chapter 8, you see who was with God when he created the world, and it says wisdom was. And you see, there's almost a picture here that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And we're going to see that actually in chapter 2 here, that all the wisdom of God is seen in Jesus. Jesus, it is Jesus Christ who made the world. This is unbelievable, but we need to believe it. This is incredible. How can we measure this in our minds and understanding that the very Jesus Christ, who came as in a manger, made the entire world. He, sust- he made the world, everything in it. It says here in Hebrews chapter 1 that the Son, Jesus, he, appoint- he was appointed heir all things through whom he created the world. Or 1 John chapter 1, John writes, this word, which is Jesus, without him was not anything that was made. And in him is life, and the life was the light of man. Friends, the person that we call Jesus Christ, the person who is the author and perfecter of our faith, the one in which we say must pay for our sins, the one in which we pray to and say, in Jesus' name, amen, this Jesus made everything. He made you He he made everything, every molecule in this 
created order, I was going to say universe, but beyond this universe, in all of the universes, in all created matter, every atom, every subatomic particle, everything is made by Jesus Christ. And it is perfect in its design and plan for what he has made it for. This means that every enemy of ours is made by God. He's going to say, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, what, what Paul's referring to, even all of the spiritual powers who are against the Christians in Colossae, in the Roman Empire, all of the so-called gods and demonic powers that were against Christianity, they are made by God. Every enemy that you have, Satan, cancer, your difficult people and difficult circumstances are made by God. That doesn't mean God sins, and that doesn't mean that God is the author of sin, but in some way that some of it is mysterious to us, God made all things, whether thrones or dominions or every power, God made them, and that must settle into our minds and go with us and say, if Jesus made everything, including all of my difficult people and all of my difficult circumstances, including all the powers that be that I get angry about or I'm upset about or I'm fearful of, if God made all of those things, then how should I then think? Jesus made your family. He made your children. He made your parents, your siblings. He made the people in this room and he put you to, connected you to them. He made all of them. He owns them. God, parents, grandparents, God owns your children. He made them. And he made you. You belong to him by the virtue of him making you. And unless you made yourself, then you can be the boss. Because he made you, he is the boss. He knows how things work. And only he ultimately knows how things work. Jesus is creator. But it goes on and says, Jesus, number three, not only is Jesus God and Jesus is creator, but Jesus is sustainer. All things, it says here, were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. He, he preexisted before everything. And in him, all things hold together. Not only did Jesus, was Jesus the great mover, Jesus who was in a manger, he not only made things before he was made into a man and became to earth, not only did he make all things in the universe, including you, and your parents, and your ancestors, and all creatures, but he sustains them. It says he, all things hold together by Jesus. He is the unifying principle of all things. He is constantly sustaining you, my friend. He is constantly staining all our enemies, and he sustains cancer or removes cancer, disease or removes disease. All governments all economies, ecosystems, our human brain that is so amazing and complex, our heart that beats, our, the sun and all the universe, all of the things, the distance between the, the, 
the sun and the earth, gravity, all laws of nature are all sustained because Jesus Christ keeps them sustaining and doing what they are supposed to do. And they are according to his plan and his will. All things are sustained by Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson once said, the simplest and humblest minds that are truly of a believer knows something about everything. Although he knows, he never knows everything about anything, we always know something about everything. And that something about everything is that God made it and God sustains it. Now, it should make our minds and our hearts go, think, what does this mean? Work this out in your life through the troubles and the trials and the difficulties and the opposition, the blessings, the things that come into your life. What does this really mean that the Jesus Christ is this God who made and sustains all things? And he has never stopped holding on to it. Whether he was a baby in the womb of Mary or now, he is always controlling all things. It is hard to us to even fathom these realities. It says in Hebrews 1.3, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Or in Revelation 4, when they're praising him, it says, you created Jesus, you created all things, and by your will they existed. Friends, one of the most difficult things for us to get into our minds, and we struggle with fear and we struggle with anger, is because we want control in our lives. You are not in control, but Jesus always is. You are not in control. He has given you will, and he has given you ability to make decisions, and he has given you a certain stewardship over things that appear like a control, but ultimately, it is under his hands. And Paul is writing to the Colossians, and he wants them to know, you need to know this Jesus. He is everything. He is this God who has made you, and he has sustained you, including all of your enemies, including all your difficulties, all of your days. As you walk out here and you see the budding leaves, you rejoice and say, Jesus did that, and Jesus is going to do that tomorrow. And when the sun comes up tomorrow and it starts to get warm, you'll say, Jesus is doing that. He's doing that freshly again, and he's doing it for a purpose. It's for him. These leaves are budding to say, Jesus be praised. I have, pet, I have a pet right now, Millie. God made Millie, and Millie has never sinned, even though she gets in the way. You and I sin. But Millie's job is to glorify Jesus. For as long as Millie lives, and she'll glorify Jesus. And the creatures that you will see are all made for purposes sometimes we do not see, but ultimately we know it's for Him who sustains all things and has a plan. And God wants us to open our eyes to live lives that orient everything to the fact that Jesus made it. Jesus is making that field that is now growing because of the crops we planted. Jesus takes seeds that die and brings life, just and it reminds me that Jesus died and brought life to all who believe in him. Jesus works all things, all laws, all things 
sustaining them by the word of his power for the glory of God the Father. Jesus is God, and Jesus is creator and sustainer. And I want you to see this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It says here in verse 17, or in verse 18, and he, this is Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent, which means surpassing all others, first, foremost. He'd be all in all. And it says here, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross, his cross. Jesus is Lord. <coughs> he is head. He is head of the body, the church. The church has been growing and has grown. I'm not talking about this building or the people in this building, but, but Jesus Christ, who is the author of the church, has saved and is saving people all over the world of every language and tribe and color. He is head. And that means he is authority. He is overall. He controls the church. He gives us this book and we obey it. And he is the nourishing source as the head of a body is the nourishing source of that body so that the body will function. And he is the firstborn from the dead. It means he is that first that has come from the dead with a resurrected new life and all who will be in him having received faith will share and follow him in the time to come. And it says here, and it says place after place in the Bible that Jesus Christ is come to reconcile all things to himself. There is going to come a day when we will experience the reconciling of Jesus Christ, reconciling everything in this universe. It says all things. The question would be is what does he mean by all things will be reconciled to him? It says, in heaven and on earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. He will reconcile all things. And in the context of all these verses, all things are all that he made in heaven and earth. All that he has sustained in heaven and earth. That includes his enemies. That includes all of wicked creatures on this earth. He will sustain and reconcile. Does that mean then that everyone will be saved. No. But what he means by Jesus is such a Lord that he will end all hostility. When he says he will reconcile, he's going to end hostility to his lordship. All creation someday will be aligned and subject to his absolute authority and lordship. The earth will be someday restored and creation will be redeemed and made new in the new heavens and new earth. All creatures of our God and King will lift up and with them sing hallelujah in one sense. They will say, but in another sense, say it this way. Philippians 2.9 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What I believe that means is that there's going to come a day 
when Jesus will come and he will judge and he will reconcile the world in which he will make all things aligned and right under his sovereign lordship. And what it will mean will all those who have rebelled against his authority, whether they be demons and supernatural powers or people who have rejected and ignored and did not receive the truth of the gospel... They will be put in their proper pacified place of they will at first bow the knee and they will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, but they'll do it in an unwilling, unworshipping way and they will be judged forever. And all of those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, having believed on him, will enjoy eternal life at his right hand Jesus Christ is Lord, and he will put away all his enemies. And he does that because of his work on the cross, conquering Satan, conquering death, conquering our sins, perfectly obeying the Father. 1 Corinthians, Paul says that Jesus must reign as Lord until he puts all his enemies under his feet, which is a fulfillment of a prophecy in the Psalms. He will put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that he will put is, that will be destroyed is death. That will be destroyed as an enemy that he will put under his feet. Friends, Jesus Christ is Lord And I declare that to you. I declare to you, sitting here, whether you have not bent the knee and submitted to Jesus because if the proper response always to hearing that Jesus is Lord is to believe it and to obey him, to submit to him and to receive him. Jesus is Lord and someday he will give an account. He will call us to an account. And that leads us to the last thing I want you to see, that Jesus is Savior. It says he makes peace by the blood of his cross. You remember how we started in verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus someday will come again, and he will save all of those who have believed in his name, who have trusted in what he has done. He makes peace by the blood of his cross in a certain way, by pacifying the rebellion and bringing them under his feet, and he will bring it in a way, and he will destroy and bring in judgment in hell to those who rebel and do not turn from him. But he makes peace by the blood of the cross to those who believe in the most glorious way. We are his church. He is our head. We are the body. He laid down his life to redeem us. His beloved son is the source of our redemption, our being rescued from our sins and brought into forgiveness. And we will see next week as Paul will tell the church, this applies to you, church. This applies to you, faith church, if you received Christ. You were alienated and unreconciled to God, but now Jesus has reconciled in his body of flesh in order to make you and present you holy and blameless above reproach. Jesus is God, and he is creator, and he is sustainer, and he is Lord, and he is Savior. I wonder what relationship you have to him. I call you to, I I invite you, I, I 
I plead with you to hear God's word now. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. He saves all those who humbly reach out to him in faith. Someday you will stand before him, the Son of God, the Creator, the Sustainer, the Savior, the Lord of the universe. You will bow down and you will confess that he is Lord. How will you do it? Will you do it now? Will you have you received him as your Lord and Savior? Trust him. Friends, if you've done that, do you submit to him daily by trusting him? Do you worship him as Savior and Lord by treasuring him and putting his agenda, his way, and his plans first? Do you proclaim him as Lord and Savior? Friends, you have people in your life who do not know Jesus. It is your job to pray for them and to share Jesus with them. You, maybe you could start by saying, do you know who Jesus is? Do, do you believe in Jesus? And if so, what Jesus do you believe in? And start a conversation about that. And when you're not sure how to answer next, start praying and start exploring and ask somebody to help you. But you and I are called to proclaim his name to others. Paul would want the Colossians to know, and he wants us to know, God wants us to know, that in Jesus, we look nowhere else. Jesus is all, and Jesus is enough. Trust in him. Your friends and your family are not enough. They're from him, but they're not a substitute. Your money and possessions are not enough. They're from him, but they're not his substitute. Your job, your talents, or your abilities, they're from him, but they're not a substitute. Jesus is the all-satisfying and only Savior. He is the only Lord. He is the Savior. He is the creator and sustainer, and he is God. Oh, may God help us to see him and share him and treasure him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And we are going to end the service by proclaiming Christ as king in our song. And I invite you to take a minute. Would you bow your head? And I just invite you to pray. And to ask God, you talk to God and say, God, would you help me to truly trust Jesus? I'd ask you, are you trusting in Christ? Do you really believe that he is God have you asked him to save you? Or have you received him? Is he your Lord? Or are you living as the Lord in your life? You trust him as your creator and sustainer. Are you sharing him? You want to grow to know him. Father, I pray that you would glorify your son in Jesus in our lives, that we may share and show him. In Jesus' name, amen.